welcome to McLean's pop culture podcast, The Thrill, for the week of May 8th. On this week's show, they blinded us with Scientology. The HBO expose about Scientology, Going Clear, is finally making its way to Canada. We'll talk to Nick Kohler, who wrote his own investigation about Scientology for McLean's, and discuss what works, what didn't, and whether change can really happen. And Know Your Selfie. Kim Kardashian just released her book of selfies, so we thought it was time to finally go on the record about this divisive issue. Are selfies selfish and vain, or just a fact of life? I'm Adrian. I'm Emma. And I'm Julia. And this is The Thrill. Today in select theaters across Canada, HBO has released Going Clear, a documentary about Scientology that was shown in the U.S. last month and raked in 1.7 million views, which is very well earned because it's pretty riveting stuff. The film is directed by Alex Gibney, who directed Docs Like, Enron's Smartest Guys in the Room, and Client 9, The Rise and Fall of Elliot Spitzer, and it's based on a book by Lawrence Wright, Going Clear, Scientology, Hollywood, and the Prison of Belief. The seed of the book was planted when Wright, a staff writer for The New Yorker, did a profile on Canadian screenwriter and former Scientologist Paul Haggis. He did Crash in 2004, remember that one? Um, Haggis has since spoken out against the controversial new religion, and he features really prominently in this film. There have been other films made about Scientology, but documentarians generally find it really tough to amass credible information about the religion, both because the church allegedly only reveals many of its core beliefs to devotees who have logged many years of loyalty, and because the church is famously litigious in protecting their copyrights. Believing most who report on it outside of the church post altered Scientology information in an attempt to discredit the church. Indeed, it was quite difficult for us to have this conversation that we're about to have without lawyers present. We're all choosing our words very carefully. But Going Clear has something different from all the other Scientology docs that have come before it. It includes many interviews with dissenters, and not just those who had previously been devotees for decades like Haggis, but also quite a few former senior executives of the church who have since left the religion and are ready to talk. They sell it all in the beginning as something quite logical. You take on a matrix of thought that is not your it's own. It's so strong that it sticks you like very glue. Controlled, very suggestible. You just don't see it happening to you. You justify so much. There is no logical explanation other than faith. With us in the studio today, we have Nick Kohler, who wrote his own detailed account about Scientology in Canada from McLean's a few years back. Hi, Nick. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Julia. <laughs> so what did you think of this film? Well, I, I was fascinated, um, uh, particularly in the way they put together uh, some very difficult material. Uh, there was um, use of, uh, of recreations and uh, and kind of repurposed old footage that, uh, particularly in the kind of Aleister Crowley crowd that Hubbard, uh, L. Ron Hubbard hung out with in Los Angeles, was really uh, fascinating. And, 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 uh, and, well, I found it spellbinding. Um, but at the same time, uh, there were some uh, uh, pretty uh, strange omissions. Uh, I'm thinking in particular of the whole Katie Holmes um, Kind of component of the story mm -hmm. that triggered uh, uh, that triggered my own reporting uh, back in uh, 2012 uh, when we looked at uh, Scientology in Canada, um, and the other thing, and and I think uh, this, if you want to call it a flaw, it it shared by many um, sort of explanations of Scientology, and 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 that's I think it it's very difficult to kind of um, uh, make it clear 
Why in the early days, L. Ron Hubbard, who in the incredible footage that we see in the film, um, comes off as, a, as, as sort of on the surface, a charlatan, uh, somebody who it's, you wonder why they, why they followed this person. What was the, um, the strange appeal or, or the spell that he cast uh, over, over people? I still don't know, and and the film it would have been. Um, uh, I, I wish that we could have seen a little bit better uh, why he did have this this uh, this pull on people. Yeah, I was struck by by the the recreations. I think I mean I think the footage they have specifically is actually like you know, if you take a minute to look past the fact of how shocking it was. Uh, you have to think how did like how did they get this? There's stuff with him uh, on a boat, uh, which when I first saw it, I was like, this has to be a recreation. But then you see him mm-hmm. on the boat, uh, and and for me, so it was less an omission, and I I really got a sense of like this is why he people would follow this guy. Mm-hmm. This is someone uh, you know they didn't have him necessarily speaking uh, to the group, uh, but they had the quotes. They had uh, quotes uh, allegedly from his uh, ex-wife Sarah Northrup. Um, they had someone read those quotes, and and. And that struck me as as sort of clarifying the the real magnetism of that early that early Scientology for that church, um, but but for me as on a, on a documentary level, um, absolutely spellbinding, uh, terrifying in its own way. But uh, every documentary I sort of look at, you know, is the narrative so neat that it makes me suspicious. And though you know everything that people have read about Scientology, this sort of agrees. Do we feel like the the movie was? fair in a way it's a weird question to ask i guess but do we feel like the the narrative was maybe even too neat because uh, it didn't really feel like a, a strong argument against scientology i mean it's interesting because a lot of the um the film that what i found about the film that that was terrifying was sort of this footage that i haven't seen a lot of mm-hmm. which is the um in-house production um uh sort of set pieces of of these these Academy Award-esque uh, gatherings where David Miscavige, the current leader of the Scientology who replaced L. Ron Hubbard uh, when he was a young man, uh, is addressing these huge crowds of people. Right. And it's like, it's it looks like what television must be like sort of in the lost city of Atlantis mm-hmm. or something. It's, there's something uh, terribly bizarre about it. Um, it looked like Oscar-level yeah. kind of it production. It really reminded yeah. me a lot of the scene in Roald Dahl's Witches in the book and also in the film when the witches are all meeting at the in the hotel conference room. I don't know. It, it had that sort of... To me, that was like, wow, I haven't seen this. I've seen Tom Cruise talking about Scientology that Anonymous put out many years ago. I've seen that. But this stuff was mm-hmm. interesting and, and kind of scary. The mm-hmm. main question I have for you then... Going back to what you were saying, how you wish the movie had gone into deeper detail about what was really appealing about Scientology. And that's my question, too, because it's clear what's being alleged about what is harmful about Scientology. But I still don't really have a clear picture from all that I've read and all that I've seen about what is good about the religion. Like, what what were these people getting out of this? Well, and I was reminded of just how uh, popular... Uh, it was by the film. I mean, for example, L. Ron Hubbard's book, Dianetics, which is sort of the basis for a lot of the religion, was on bestseller lists for years. Mm. Um, and if you read it, it's it's pretty hard to get your head around exactly what he's uh, telling you or arguing for. Um, so what is the appeal? 
I talked to a lot of Scientologists when I was reporting my piece, and you would ask them after, you know, having spent years devoted to this and the practices of Scientology, because you undergo auditing, and I think many of us know what auditing is. It's this kind of question and answer thing holding literally uh, kind of tomato cans, and there's a current that runs through you, and you're asked, you know, about your life and uh, and if there are things that upset you, you kind of probe that. And it gets very Baroque because as you go up the hierarchy, they, they're they trying to get these uh, disembodied souls that have attached themselves to, the, uh, to you kind of off and amputate these alien creatures. The thetans. The, yeah. Or body thetans. Yeah. I think they, they're called at that point. Um, and so you would ask people like, you spent a lot of time doing this. Mm. What, what were you thinking? And a, lo- a lot of them, it's clear that the community of Scientologists was part of what kept them go- going. These were their very good friends. And the, the, the religion does have a way of um, forging this community independent of sort of mainstream uh, who you work with, who your family is. Um, and I, I think for a lot of people that was really, really important. And I think, too, that Scientology, you know, it came out of this sort of 60s New Age um, uh, aspiration to, um, to, to be the best that you can be and, and to connect with something larger than you. you. Um, so all of these things, community, kind of focus on yourself, focus on being excellent, it, that's a kind of potent uh, uh, cocktail. And, and then... You have invested so much because it also costs quite a bit of money right. um, that you kind of can't stop. You've, mm. It's sort of like people who buy a house. I'm a renter myself. Mm. And, and they come to you and they say, why aren't you buying a house? And they really want you to buy a house because it it's really expensive to buy a house. And they have to justify their own uh, purchase by seeing that others do exactly the same thing. It's that huge investment. Right. Uh, and that's the point that I'm trying to make. The housing market. It's yeah. a Scientology analogy. That's right. <laughs> Homeownership <laughs> is a new religion. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you talk about the, the charm of L. Ron Hubbard and this idea of community and like the militaristic imagery that was in the, the movie. And I don't know, have you guys, have any of you guys seen the movie The Master? I'm guessing you certainly have. But it's a movie by Paul Thomas Anderson that stars Joaquin Phoenix and um, the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman. And though not, it has not been said explicitly or not been proven explicitly, it's supposed, the understanding is that it is uh, based on Scientology and that the character that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays is based on the, on the real life person of L. Ron Hubbard. And in the movie, he plays an extremely charismatic uh, man who seems to um, attract these wayward souls who don't really belong to a tribe. And he says, I have a tribe for you. Here you go. And that's kind of what is insinuated in Scientology or some of the ex-members of the film discuss that they just they felt a sense of belonging community, what you, you mentioned. And some um, sociologists say that the, the measure of happiness, some people measure happiness on how happy you are in relation to the community you, you live in. You know, OK, I have a job. Bob has a job. He's got a wife. I've got a wife. Okay, maybe I'm doing okay, as opposed to the wider world. So when you have a community like Scientology or any religion, I imagine you measure yourself up. You measure yourself up against the people that are closest to you, and it seems like that was my sense of why people kind of 
when posed the question like why did you do it for so long it's like well that's my tribe's my tribe yeah and 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 this is what uh, struck me too as i watched the film the the people who have become dissenters and who were followers and particularly those who followed uh, l ron hubbard uh, personally they had personal relationships mm-hmm. with him these are clearly very intelligent people mm-hmm, yes they're skeptical people too and so this is the puzzle that anybody who looks at Scientology has to sort of sort out for themselves. Um, what draws smart, skeptical people into this kind of um, uh, this kind of this kind of community? Um, and just, I mean, it's interesting that you bring up the master because it, although I'm not a fan of the film, I think it's beautifully written and the scenes where Joaquin Phoenix Phoenix and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman are together you you really do feel well maybe this really is the draw but there's another a film by Paul Thomas Anderson that I I think does with a kind of a cult of personality a person who is developing around them a cult of personality a better job of demonstrating how this kind of thing can happen and it's Magnolia uh, with one of Tom Cruise's best performances, I think, of his career. And he plays this guy, Frank uh, T.J. Mackey, who mm-hmm. is a pickup artist guru, and he teaches wayward men how to be more successful with women. And there's this kind of, you get this sense of charisma mm-hmm. um, and drive and uh, and also vulnerability in the in the character that is entirely lacking in the footage that we do have of uh, L. Ron Hubbard. Right. Uh, and I just find that it's really interesting. Clearly, we don't have the best of L. Ron Hubbard. You know, that footage, the interviews mm-hmm. that we saw on the Apollo, the boat that he spent years on and elsewhere, He's, I think he's skeptical of the journalistic project at hand, and uh, he doesn't come off very well. He must have been quite somebody. I think right. what's also important to remember, which is what I was sort of forgetting when I was criticizing people involved with the religion, is that so many of its top executives or, you know, bigwigs started out very young, right, when they were in their early 20s even. And so if I think of the clubs I joined in undergrad university, many of them I wouldn't want to be a part of today. But if they had, you know, convinced me to spend lots and lots of money and invest time in it and then... Or like a job. If you start at the bottom rung yeah. of the ladder and you work your way up, you're like, well, I've been here a long time. I may not love the ethos of this, the, you know, the, the, the corporation I'm in, but I've, I've stuck it out. So, Nick, I wanted to ask you about, you, you did a lot of research, of course, for um, this story uh, that you put together for McLean's a few years ago. Did anything particularly surprise you about the film that you hadn't come across before in your research? I mean, there are those revelations for, I mean, for example, around John Travolta um, and uh, revelations. I mean, I, the claim is that uh, he was secretly recorded during uh, his auditing sessions. I, I understand uh, that he actually requested uh, that uh, no recordings uh, take place. So that's pretty um, that's pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then um, his relationship with Spanky Taylor, uh, mm-hmm. that really, I mean, interesting uh, woman who spends, uh, who the film spends quite a bit of time with, um, and and how she, in ultimately fled the organization with her 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 young child, mm-hmm. and how 
Um, surprised she is that uh, her experience hasn't um, apparently changed uh, how Travolta um, in, engages, let's say, with, with Scientology. I think her surprise is sort of palpable, and she's emotional about it because they were very cl close. Uh, she worked closely with him. Um, and but I, I have to say, I mean, I think a lot of the um, the dissenters, and these are top rung dissenters, they hadn't spoken as um, in depth um, when I did my reporting as as they have now done, uh, thanks to, to this film. Mm -hmm. Mike Rinder, for example, uh, who was a principal kind of a public relations advocate uh, or champion for uh, for Scientology, um, and just how smart. And how um, personable these people are. I've, that, I, I was sort of surprised by that. I don't know why. And then the footage like, that we talked about, the crazy uh, city of Atlantis. Uh, um, Award shows, whatever they yeah. are. Yeah. And like, you know, as a, as a journalist, you're struck by the fact that these are so high ranking members. Uh, Mike Rinder, the I, I, I didn't quite know this, but there was that BBC journalist who went crazy, quote unquote, uh, after he was he alleged that he was followed by, you know, uh, by the Scientology. That's a documentary that but he's it, in. That's right. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like the last I had heard, it was sort of like allegations. And here we have Mike Rinder being, yeah, 100 percent. That's what we did. I did it. Like, I followed him. Uh, I mean, I was struck and by he admitted like, that he was lying. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so and so, you know, and maybe this stuff had been out there before, but all in one place just really made this a very yeah. convincing thing. Um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, you have obviously written a long piece about this. Many people have done long pieces of, of well-researched journalism. Uh, this is obviously a significant uh, piece of that as well. Um, but ultimately, the, the the true measure, I think, of a, of a documentary or a real piece of journalism is, is, is measured by the change that it will make. Um, how much do you believe that this will change dramatically perceptions of Scientology, uh, both among those within the church and those outside it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a really good question because I know this was true of my, of my piece in 2012. Um, it, there was a pile on, uh, and um, uh, I think it was unleashed by the New Yorker story by Lawrence Wright, which was a brilliant, totally compelling piece of journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, great, beautiful to read. So obviously just, I mean, no stone unturned kind of reporting. Um, and yet it's not clear what changed there except that it it only reinforced a perception or a judgment that many uh, people had already made. Um, and perhaps it, it held up some, some very well-known people, some celebrities, to even more ridicule than they had been exposed to before. Um, Scientology, the numbers, the membership, this is put pretty... Uh, directly in the in the dock uh, is in decline. Um, if you look down here on Young Street, just around the corner, um, at uh, the headquarters in Toronto, it's it's apparently a gutted building with plywood in the windows. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like that in 2012 when I was doing my reporting. Um, and so I, I think th there's a little bit of um, of the kicking a dead horse. Uh, is that the expression? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know that's that that's not much fun to be uh, to be sort of a, a part of. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Emma, Adrian. Selfish. 
It's a term that's thrown around pretty frequently around the idea of snapping a selfie. It also happens to be the name of Kim Kardashian's new 445-page tome of selfies, which came out on May 5th. Even though selfies have been an essential part of our culture for years, it was, after all, in the Oxford English Dictionary in 2013, the act of preening and taking a photo of yourself is still proving to be a modern-day crucible, just like Kim Kardashian herself, I guess. Uh, Emma, let me start with you. Where do you land on the selfie issue? I think that selfies are obviously a product of a self-absorbed culture, but they're more a product of the technology that we have. I mean, the reason everybody our age takes selfies is not because millennials are uniquely selfish or more selfish than any other generation. It's because we have technology by which we can see ourselves as we take photos of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't do that like 15 years ago, you know? That's why you'd ask if you're on a trip, you'd ask somebody to take a picture of you. You couldn't just take your disposable camera and, or you could, I did that many times, but then it wouldn't come out right. You get the pictures and you wouldn't even be in the, you would just be your bangs. Exactly. So I think it's just more a product of our technology and it's kind of unfair for people to use the selfie as an example of, you know, how we are ourselves, like people in their 20s, are uniquely selfish. Yeah, um, and I think I'm struck by like self-absorbed culture because it's like I feel like our culture has kind of always been self-absorbed. You talked about like how we've always sort of wanted to have images of ourselves. We wanted those like people what is what is actually more selfish? The idea of just like snapping a quick photo of yourself at, in the moment or having like a painter come paint you in your house <laughs> for like days, for days. Like royals were like so selfish, right? right? And that was like the upper class, but now yeah. every anyone with a phone in their pocket is the upper class. And exactly to your point like a, f- a f- front-facing camera. Like, there's only one use for that, and it's to take a picture of yeah. yourself. And now it's in all the, all the phones we got. And with regards to Kim Kardashian, I mean, she's totally trolling all of us. She's kind of brilliant. It's the same with her uh, breaking the internet photo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the I think the difference is that with breaking the internet, she was building her brand, and then with this photo, she's cashing in. Right. Because they probably didn't spend her or or, sorry, gave her a lot of money to do that photo shoot. But she knew it would get gums a flapping. And boy, did it ever. And now she's like, now buy my book about selfies. And you're like, yes, give it to me. And I read a really interesting column in Time earlier today that I hadn't thought about her book this way, where in the book, apparently she mentions a lot of her makeup, her Mm. makeup artists and and hairstylists. So it's also kind of like a tribute to them. It's sort of like a tribute to all of the people who've manufactured her brand and her image. So she'll be like, this selfie, like my makeup was done by blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think it's very honest. And she's just this beautiful socialite with the reality show that stars her family. And she's married to the most famous rapper in the world. And her, her entire brand is about controlled authenticity and intimacy, like a reality show which makes it appear as if it's real, but it's not at all. Mm. And the selfies, which look as if they're just like a little peek behind the curtain, but they're all very manicured. And uh, yeah, I think also what's so brilliant and delicious about this, uh, a a brilliant, delicious turn, as it were, for this uh, release of this book is that she banned selfies at the book signing (laughs) because once her product is, you know, popular, you don't give it away for free. I love that. Well, see, I okay, so I'm I'm ve- I'm pretty pro Kim Kardashian. I think that like what she does, uh, what she does, like everyone's always like, oh, what's her skill? And her skill is branding, which is a, which yeah. is a huge part that's of right. which is a huge talent right now. I mean, like we're but branding we're of herself. To, that's right, yeah. That's but branding in is. general, like we're acknowledge, we're starting to come around to the idea that like branding is a kind of art. You know, you can't be really be uh, an artist really today without having some skill at branding. 
um, you know, that is that is her true gift and that is her genius that, that still sometimes people don't see as being particularly tangible. Um, but I do dislike the idea that in a way she's like de-democratizing what she has brought to the forefront, right? Like she she in, in many ways has brought, uh, has been the herald of the selfie, as selfie as art. Um, and for now for her to say, hey, like what, when you're coming to buy my book, uh, you can't take a selfie. To me, is very curious. It's like opening the Honestly, line and then closing I, I the line. I think the only reason she bans selfies is because if she allowed she selfies, it. she would also be standing there like all day. Yeah, you, exactly. Like, Wouldn't she, you sure. love to she have a She also banned inscriptions too. So it's like <laughs> she doesn't want to be there all day. You know, <laughs> it's a practical thing. But like, but I still, uh, but the I think the uh, the abstract idea of the is still a problem. The fact that she encourages selfies, that selfies are art, except. Mm-hmm. It should have been a selfie free-for-all is what you're saying. (laughs) Yes, self-free-for-all. I think what's interesting about Kim Kardashian and her brand of selfishness is that we look down on it so often when we consider, uh, you know, adoration of the royal family to be more Mm -hmm. sophisticated or somehow refined. I know I shouldn't be saying this because it's McLean's, but to me, Kim Kardashian and Kate Middleton are really, the only thing that separates them is a sex tape. They're famous... Mm. For absolutely nothing. They're just famous for being famous. At least Kim Kardashian talks. I don't even know if Kate Middleton can. I've never heard her say anything. Sorry, this is kind of <laughs> going on a tangent. I just really don't get the real family thing. And I just, in that yeah, sense. I, I mean, I think that that's also kind of where Kim gets her bad rap, this idea about being famous for being famous. But she knows that she's famous for being famous. So somebody else that's famous that... Um, trumpets their brand is Gwyneth Paltrow with Goop and she talks about cleanses and detoxes a lot and it's about things that other people have told her like she's not a registered dietitian or a doctor or a scientist and she says she isn't but it's very influential and people kind of take her health advice at uh, face value Mm -hmm. and that's way more dangerous than just like contour makeup tips from Kim Kardashian that's useful yeah. And even on like just on the authenticity tip She's again. She's an expert. Yeah, she uh, a lot of people on like Amazon or whatever reviewing her book being like, "Oh, this is like vapid waste of time. Don't bother." It's like, "Yeah, I mean, I w- I wouldn't if I was not interested in the book, right? Like it's the same as like you don't, don't see it, it. like you yeah, it's to. like you don't see on Jonathan Franzen's reviews being like, "Ah, oh, terrible if you hate Jonathan Franzen." But like, yeah, well, I I mean, then I won't buy well, there this are bad reviews on, on some books, and it's just like, if right. you, I don't like them, you're like, your opinion, cool. cool. Yeah. But it's, I think that's what you're trying to say is like when people say, like, what has this society come right. to? Right. And that's different because it's just like, well, you can't, that's a slippery slope. Because if you, wanna, in, if you want to um, ingest it, you can. She's got three, 31.7 million followers. She took a photo, her wedding photo with Kanye was the most liked selfie in Instagram history with 1.92 million likes. Holy macaroni. Mm. It's a good, it was a smart idea to just capitalize. Yeah. I think people also like to play with the idea of shallowness and basicness, like the, you know, the so-called basic bitch. Nobody is really basic, but it's sort of fun to try on those terms and Mm -hmm. to indulge in Kim Kardashian and her selfish book or whatever. And then there might be the belief on the part of some snootier people that, that people who engage with like celebrity culture are really shallow when really... No one is that shallow. We're just sort of having fun with it. It's like I doubt that most women who read Cosmo magazine believe all of the crazy sex tips, but it's fun to laugh about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, just to tie a bow, I guess, on this whole selfie thing, because I think we at The Thrill, I think it's fair to say that we're pretty in defense of selfies. That If you, you want to go do a selfie, go get it. 
Um, just don't hashtag into oblivion. You know when they just um, there's a million hashtags. Hashtag cute. Hashtag long hair don't care. Just slow your roll. In defense of selfies, but with caveats. Mm-hmm. But I just want to tie it up just because I, I read this thing from uh, Ontario, who's who writes the blog Beljar, and she wrote this uh, defense of selfies. Uh, and I just wanted to quote it because I, I felt I feel like it really does reflect sort of at least my feeling on it, which is uh, to say that she quotes loves your selfies because she loves seeing I, le- I love seeing you feel good about yourself I love how your face glows when you look like a million bucks and you know it I love when you celebrate yourself and you deserve to be celebrated selfies are just this the moment in time where you know you look good and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I mean you know with within reason <laughs> well everything within reason all right well that's it for this week find new episodes every Friday at mcclains.ca and subscribe on iTunes Stitcher and Beyond Pod. Leave us a rating or a comment on iTunes, or drop us a comment on the site. If you like this, make sure to check out our politics podcast on The Hill. You can also hear some of our columnists, like our very own Emma Title, read their work at McLean's Voices. Both are on iTunes and Stitcher. Our theme song is by Young Clancy. You can follow Emma on Twitter at Emma Rose Title. You can follow Julia at Julia Del J. And me at Adrian K. Lee. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>